स्मार्ट यू आर लिसनिंग टू अमिंट प्रोडक्शन टू बायस्ट हेलो एवरीवन आई एम मॉलिक फ्रॉम मिंट पर्सनल फाइनेंस टीम इन टूडेज एपिसोड ऑफ वाई नॉट मिंट मनी यू विल बी लिसनिंग टू नील बोराटे हेड ऑफ द पर्सनल फाइनेंस टीम एट मिंट इन कॉन्वर्सेशन विद डेविड टेट द ग्लोबल सीईओ ऑफ द वर्ल्ड गोल्ड काउंसिल David talks about what will be the key demand drivers for gold and whether the collapse of cryptocurrency will impact it. He also shares his views on India's bullion exchange. Let's hear it from him. Hi. Welcome to Why Not Mint Money, a personal finance podcast where we help you understand basic money concepts and share strategies for you to build your wealth. So let's get started on your money journey. David, uh what is likely to be the biggest driver of demand for gold in uh, the next few years <laughs> well i don't think it's going to be what you expect as i say to be honest um i think the industry is on the cusp of a um a digital revolution and i think uh and we are going to be at the very center of that going forward there are a number of things which i've been dedicating the organization to change um first and i will say at first for reasons is trying to solve for gold bullion integrity the chain of custody provenance and integrity of gold bars because i say at first because that's the bedrock of on which we should build there's no point digitizing or tokenizing an asset that is untrusted and so we've dedicated ourselves over the last 18 months to getting on the front foot with that in that regard but uh and we we came to an agreement with the LBMA that we would try and force this agenda and we focused on two companies uh, a company called Exedrus and another company called Peer Ledger to provide a global database for gold across the entire world and that came into being on the 28th of March this year when we made the announcement quite an achievement sounds relatively innocuous just a database but as you know with this industry very few things are quite as easy as they look This database will be a place for all gold, all good deliverables, all shapes and sizes will go into this, such that the world knows that their gold exists, knows what the criteria are behind each bar, which provenance, what provenance, where it's from, depending on how much is put in, and gives people assurance that it is what it says it is and it is from where it is, and that's the important part. The second bit is there's there's the potential. a huge change in security features at the moment something where a technology where you can mark the gold at a molecular level which means that you can have absolute assurance that the gold from dore stage right the way through to the ring on your finger can be tracked and so that you can have absolute guarantee that what you've bought is what it is and you can check it against the distributed ledger technology database these two things running side by side will create an immutable ecosystem which will i hope squeeze the fairest practice out of the market exploitation out of the market and give people the confidence they need in the asset class as a whole and that over time that ecosystem over time will grow because it's naturally you'll wonder if you were sitting outside that ecosystem shouldn't I be in it at some point and you'll find a way of getting yourself into that ecosystem um but most importantly that's the bedrock and then on top of that my goal is to digitize the entire global gold system all the allocated piles sitting in vaults banks and anywhere else for that matter 
uh, can come together and agree on a digital form of that goal. Even if the goal is of different standards, we agree a taxonomy for a certain type of token. Uh, I hate the phrase, I have, I have to keep saying it because it makes it sound so idiotic, but it's far more than that. I call it digitization, a digitized format, an agnostic format. And uh, as a consequence, you will find that each of these markets around the world that are currently fragmented and disjointed, they are very much their own universes, their own ecosystems, can suddenly join up and interact effortlessly. And that's when I talk to the phrase fungible markets will achieve great accessibility in that form and the markets will become as one, fungible. So it'll just become gold. Now, why is that important? I think it's important because when you understand that the major impediment for institutions to trade gold is the fact that it's capital heavy, it's expensive to trade relative to other assets, digitizing it removes those uh, impediments overnight. You get atomic settlement on trades. You don't have to worry about it where it is. It just stays where it is all the time. It doesn't have to move because you're trading a digitized version of it. So suddenly all those impediments for institutions at a huge global level, the trade goal falls away in many respects and suddenly becomes as capital light as a dollar. In doing so, the $220 trillion of assets that sit out there have another brand new capital light asset to trade. And that's why I think that is the biggest determinant, the biggest driver for gold demand going forward. Um, simply, these assets, they will probably end up parking 5 to 10% of their portfolios into a capital light asset. The main reason they haven't in the past is because they're agnostic, they don't understand it, they don't care, or they can't. And any combination of that, making it digital, as easy as buying a dollar, will change that, that perspective. And I think that's the biggest driver of gold demand going forward. So I expect to see big things. So two questions coming from back. One is that there are already electronic forms of gold, such as ETFs. You don't think that they are playing that role at present. And uh, the other is that digitization will affect uh, investment demand for gold. But if you think of the other two big sources, which is jewelry and central banks, how will that transform those markets? Well, uh, do I think we will cannibalize ETFs? Do I think this product could cannibalize ETFs? Yes, I do. There is a possibility. And that's a worry for me for obvious reasons, because we own GLD and GLDM. But do I think it's going to provide a different form of interaction between banks as a, almost like a dollar would interaction between the banks, make it easier? Absolutely, where ETFs won't, um, are not that available. Um, I think it's a different form of trading between institutions and transference of gold around the world that ETFs doesn't cater for. Um, it's going to be a lot easier to trade um, it's going to be on a variety of different venues, on a, in, somewhat in the unregulated space, but closer to regulation than fully unregulated. We're not going to go near that end of the space. But I, wanted to, I want this token to also sit alongside the crypto asset, in the crypto asset world, and in many respects, be the, the Bitcoin that Bitcoin meant to be. See, So at a retail level, it facilitates the digitization of all the gold stocks, from the 220 trillion I've told you about. But at a retail level, from high net worth right down to retail, it allows a 
It allows you and I to transact in gold in a way that probably we don't touch ETFs. You know an ETF, but the, the next guy in the street never heard of it. In fact, many people at institutional level don't even really understand that. I've, so that's the accessibility part. It's about making this usable at a retail level right the way through to the Goldman Sachs JP Morgan, Morgan interaction. One product all the way through. So we're working with a, a bunch of partners to decide on the architecture of this product. And I expect at some point to be able to get the major bullion banks around a table, incidentally, I already have them around a table, to be able to deliver this as part of a progression in the right direction for the market. I can explain why that's going to be relatively easy for me to do. Um, but they've already agreed that this is the future. I plan to provide them with the asset to do it. Hey, what are your thoughts on what the Indian government is planning with, or already has done with the National Support Exchange? Um, I think it's a marvelous move in the right direction. I think it's uh, terrific. I think the International Bullion Exchange as well. I was there on Monday. Um, we've been we've given them an awful amount of advice and, and worked closely with them as a partner to try and get that exchange and the domestic exchange launched. I think it's uh, it, it puts India on the map. I think the idea of having one conduit, the IIBX, into the market, into the country, is definitively the right thing to be doing. Um, I think you've got to get participation in those in the exchanges. That's obviously somewhat more difficult, but I think you've done the right thing, and eventually India will be a beacon of transparency and and high tech markets. It's, it's fantastic. The the reason why I think the the one conduit into the country is so important goes back to my database. You really can channel all gold into that world. And from there, as you have done, give jewelers the ability to go directly to the exchange and buy from there. It's just a fantastic progression and transparency and all those good things that will attract international investors. How, quite how you get the international banks here remains to be seen. Um, I'm happy to work with anybody to try and help make that happen. So. Right. So to go back to the original question, uh, among the various demand drivers of gold, uh, that is jewelry or central bank, you think investment demand is what will propel gold prices for the next few years? I, yeah, I think it, almost from a mechanical perspective in many respects. I think we all know the geoeconomic and geopolitical situation. Um, you know, obviously interest rates have ridden, risen and you've had a slight decline in gold. And it's very likely that inflation will continue and the central banks will tip us into recession because they're, they're so far behind the curve. So that scenario is looking good for gold. It's very few that you can actually see that are not good from the using the criteria that you and I are so familiar with, whether it be Putin, whether it be Taiwan, whether it be anything else. You've got a steady, firm base beneath you here um, unless you get rampant growth with inflation. That's the only one that doesn't look that's unfavorable. I'm saying I think the, the fundamental change to gold demand is this new dawn that will that will open um, the ability for many of the all the investment funds that have hitherto not gone near this market to suddenly look at it differently. Um, will they be able to understand the drivers behind gold demand supply? They only need to ask us. Can we prove that gold as part of a balanced portfolio is to its advantage? Yes, we can. Uh, the reason people haven't, you would ask, why haven't they done it before then? Well, it's because it's capital intensive. 
and you've got other assets that are equally volatile to trade, so at other capital light. And so you put your your capital to, to work in the low capital, high volatility instruments. What you've got here is a relatively high volatile, volatile instrument, but with capital heavy. You just go somewhere else and a whole generation of people have come and, come and gone through the investment markets not looking at this asset for that very reason. We're on the cusp of giving it equivalency. So it's as volatile and it's as low cap capital. So I'm seeing that capital migrate back. That's what I'm saying. I think that's going to be an important driver. People flooding in to the market to trade it. Now, there's a ton of above ground stock. I get it, but it's all spoken for. So I expect to see a supply and demand dynamic kick off that people haven't factored in yet. You know, if I could buy myself $5,000 calls, I would. How much effect do you think the collapse of cryptocurrency will have in the demand for gold? Because cryptocurrency was touted as uh, your digital gold. Mm -hmm. It seems to have come a full cycle. So if you do see that money now flowing back into gold, how much difference do you think it will make? I'm not sure how much money is left in cryptocurrencies that will migrate to gold if I suddenly have an equivalent sitting inside it today. I think that, that hot money is probably already exited the building. Um, but what I do think we're about to create is the thing Bitcoin always intended to be. Perfect currency debasement tool that is asset-backed, 100%. Not stable coin with a variety of things shoved in there for good measure, 100% gold. Nothing not to like about that, and it can be proven that it's there. And as we know, it's, it's, uh, it's a reverse indicator of these markets. And as you saw, when Russia invaded Ukraine, what you saw was Bitcoin collapse and gold go through the roof. Because in that moment, Bitcoin confirmed itself as a risk asset, totally 100% correlated to equities, which I did laugh out loud when I saw it, and you would expect me to. I didn't expect that, by the way. I didn't expect it to be so heavily correlated with risk asset, but it seems like it's had its day as a pretending to be a currency debasement tool. It will always be there for some, okay? But I think most people went into Bitcoin because it was volatile, not because of the fundamental thesis behind it. But if you're looking for a currency debasement tool that has moderate volatility and is irrefutably backed up by something sitting in a bank, look no further. So yes, we might be a bit late to this table, and I would have loved to have been around a year ago or 18 months ago and had something that was sitting side by side on the day Putin invaded, because a whole generation would have seen that, and I wouldn't have to spend so much money educating people. So um, when you use technology like blockchain, essentially, that's a way of getting over national uh, boundaries and distrust. Is, is that correct? Basically. Currently, you have ETFs which are regulated by the US SEC, such as GLD, um, but there are other jurisdictions which have their own ETFs and their own rules. And when you have duplicative tensions, you might have countries um, not allowing flows into each other's markets. So, mm -hmm. with this blockchain, is it a way to create a global system that's truly neutral, that's above national rules? Not necessarily. Not not by design. No, we. We, for instance, the database, as an example, we thought about uh, DLT technologies or just the rudimentary Excel technology to, to dumb things down. It doesn't matter. We chose blockchain because it could be updated constantly. Uh, it's visible to, to you and I if we were transacting, but not to anybody else. And it's immutable. It can't be broken. 
and it's a great record, something that you can rely on. Um, but in terms of creating a, a token, it's undecided what form of technology we're going to use at the moment. Um, who's going to, who, I know who's going to create it, but the, um, the, for want of a better expression, the smart contract that's going to be created, the technology is being decided at the moment. No, it's not a design to, to overcome um, boundaries necessarily, but I do see a situation that if we do tokenize this asset, where it, is, it will be possible, notwithstanding currency restrictions of borders for, and capital controls of borders, for China to eventually trade with the rest of the world using this asset without having to put it on planes. Um, so that the feasibility is there, um, and it just removes so many, many, many obstacles. Right now, one of my biggest concerns is the MICA 1 and 2 regulations, MICA. Um, the European regulators at the moment are staring at stable coins, hate the phrase, um, and uh, throwing a blanket over all stable coins and demanding a form of capital retention against them. I get the logic of that. Stable coins have got, as you know, a variety of things in, in them. And if you ever try and redeem, you might not, the money might not be there. You can't, you've got to have the capital control. But of course, a gold-backed stable coin, gold-backed, shouldn't be suffering under the same yoke as other stable coins. And so we're making petitions to the European authorities about this. But my point being about cross-borders, we're also talking to the US authorities and we're putting those two regulators together to learn from each other because they're both at the very early learning stage such that we have a uniform view of it across the globe. So this is not a form of circumventing rules or, or, or sidestepping regulation. In fact, in many respects, it makes taxation and transparency and monitoring of these things a downside easier, um, to be honest. Sure. Are you seeing any early signs of um, central banks stepping up their core purchases? You did release a report recently, which I went through, although that didn't show a lot of a big jump. No. Uh, but logically, when you have a situation such as the current one, which is unprecedented, um, you should you would expect to see central banks of countries which are opposing each other uh, stepping up their purchases. So you're not seeing that. Not the Western currencies uh, countries, no, not the major holders, because frankly, many of them have high proportions of gold as part of their reserves as it is. Over the last few years, last couple of years, predominantly it's been the developing countries that have been adding to their reserves. But if you look statistically, they're still at relatively low levels, notwithstanding the current crises. Um, I would expect to see a continuation of that. I think they've, they've taken peer learnings from Western countries and saying we need a certain proportion. There's no hard and fast rule of what level you need or should have. But I would expect continue, continued um, buying. It's unpredictable. You don't really know why they do it at certain times. Some, we have relationships with, I think, 197 of them, would you believe, which is quite remarkable. But it's also true that a small proportion are very forthcoming with information to us. The rest take the information and we might not know that they do something. In general, we do understand when they are doing and we report it as such. Um, but it has been relatively quiet. Uh, but frankly, as you can see, with the world at the moment. I don't expect anybody to be selling unless they're trying. They've got their own form of crisis and they're trying to uh, backstop it, um, which is obviously why they've got the gold there in the first place.
on jewelry demand uh, the shutdowns in china have affected quite a bit with that easing you expect a big rebound in jewelry demand i think we've had uh, between the, this year and last year and this year we've seen a terrific uptick i think in you know, aggregate now we're high 600 million numbers um, between investment and jewelry demand very much similar to where we were i think 2018 2019 i remember was a little bit lower but most of the teens have been 600 and something and we're back to those levels i think it's a combination of things uh, bounce back from covid is an obvious one pent up demand savings I think the price has come down you're both price and demand in elastic uh, elastic I mean and I think what you're seeing now is a, is a reflection of that obviously cost of living and inflation um is going to eat into people's disposable income and that will the amount of disposable income that gets spent on gold is going to be very probably probably dependent on culture uh, so to your point exactly this country do I expect to see that have much of an impact no not much in other countries where it's considered a true luxury product as opposed to something that's part of your dna i expect to see more of a drift off but not here i think you can have a very positive outcome positive outlook for here it depends to be honest um in in summary where the central banks end up i mean i personally think i've never seen a situation where central banks have been so far behind the curve and you could argue caught napping um I was jumping up and down on the spot through the years leading up to covid saying you inject so much money into buoyant economies five and four trillion at 6% growth and you didn't see inflation coming it's it's remarkable that we're in this situation and to take the uk as an example our first estimate 3 months ago was 9% inflation now it's 13% inflation who why is it not going to be an estimate of 20 for next year i don't know i'm not saying it would be but people haven't factored this into their minds and our central bank moved us to 1.5% you know it's we're so far away that there is the possibility that we tip into some form of recession that i think will will materially impact uh, the propensity to consume at a at a marginal level in the western world as it pertains to jewelry here i think you're more inclined to buy it no matter what which is wonderful um, but i and i but i think it's uh, i don't expect it to come off much now i probably investment demand will come off before jewelry demand um finally to sort of get to that point um you haven't seen big increases in etf buying despite that high inflation why do you think that is that's a good question i actually don't know i'm going to be honest it's uh, I think the price has gone side I think that's ETF buying is and most well particularly let me talk about GLD which is our major major vehicle it's very much a speculative vehicle largely speaking GLDM is our constant buy and hold thing and that hasn't really fluctuated hasn't come off from its highs um the 40 basis points GLD the Leviathan um has is quite volatile because people buy in periods of volatility it's very active whether it's going down or up it's very active and so i think it's more a case of the price has gone sideways um there be this many people tell me we've had the perfect case for gold and it stayed below 2000 as i have people say it's should have gone down and it hasn't it's one of those you remember when gold languished around about 1100 
for ages and everybody, nobody understood why I wasn't going up or going down. It's one of these ones. And it depends who you talk to, you'll get an opinion on it. What I would say is happening at a, at a trading level, it's very likely people are getting more confident and confident that it's not going to move. And from an option perspective, I call selling the wings and a selling volatility um, above 2000 to one probably and down at 1500 saying it's never going to go there. So I expect that if you do get a surprise, it will be very fast the next move because they're all going to be taken out of those positions. It's a crowded trade. Yes, it's a crowded trade. Um, and I think the longer a trade goes sideways, people tend to get out, not in. And if they if they're trying to earn some income by selling 21 and 15, eventually it'll break. One side or the other, and I expect it to be the upside in due course. And then, of course, they'll be clamoring and buying back their volatilities. You know what I mean? It's a classic case of selling the wings. Do they get too comfortable? They've got to earn some income from some premium somewhere. That's basically what you're saying. Thank you so much, Dave. It's a pleasure. So that's it for now, listeners. Thanks for tuning in. If you have any personal finance questions, you can email them to us at mintmoney@livemint.com. Or you can reach out to Neil on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at ActusDay. That is A-C-T-U-S-D-E-I. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.